State of emergency extended. We are still in a volatile and dynamic situation. The next storm on deck and how long gas rationing will continue. Omicron in Canada. Both individuals are in isolation. With more cases confirmed, how BC is preparing for the new variant. And kids roll up their sleeves. If you want to bring a stuffy, you can bring a stuffy. Day one of the pediatric vaccine program. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The provincial state of emergency for BC is being extended into the middle of December with a third major storm on the way. Gas rationing measures are staying in place and drivers are being warned to stay off the roads during the next atmospheric river. John Hua has the latest, including the area of greatest concern. As the flood sirens wailed once again through the air over Sumas, Washington. This time, most of the water was kept at bay here in British Columbia. Still, there was no stopping the sense of dread from seeping in. Many people across the province have been affected in some way by these storms, and we are still in a volatile and dynamic situation. The province extending emergency restrictions on gas and non-essential travel until December 14th as it prepares to be pummeled by a third atmospheric river in just two weeks. Extending the state of emergency will support the ongoing response and recovery from the widespread damage already caused by flooding while positioning us to take all necessary steps in the days ahead. While some precautionary highway closures over the weekend have been lifted, a warning from BC's transportation minister. That could change at any moment. If you need to be driving... I urge you to check Drive BC for the very latest updates on road conditions. But unless it is absolutely necessary, I would encourage you to stay off the roads. Despite a brief 24-hour reprieve, weather experts say we can't let our guard down. This third atmospheric river is about to hit BC with a brutal combination. It's not just a rain event. It's not just a snow melting event. It's also a successive storm event. The greatest area of concern, the central coast now under a rainfall warning. There have been uh, assets deployed, uh, sandbags, for example, uh, to, uh, to assist in, in strengthening areas that may require it, as well as uh, Canadian Armed Forces personnel are also able to uh, assist in, the, in that deployment. Experts say the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley must also be prepared. And it will deliver a relatively strong punch, similar to what we saw this weekend. With words like that, it's hard not to feel the worry start to wash over. Then there are moments like this. I was, I was almost in tears. People coming together as they get ready for what's to come. John Hua, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the extended fuel restrictions. How concerned mm-hmm. do we need to be, Keith? What did officials have to say about supply? Officials are pretty confident that if everyone obeys the order of just 30 uh, liters of gasoline for, for a visit, we do have enough supply. Even though the major pipeline that feeds gas into Metro Vancouver, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, remains out of service, uh, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth today saying we're going to heck a lot of gasoline from both the south and the east. Here he is. 
the, the pipeline um, normally brings in about 85% of the, uh, the fuel that's required for refining. Um, what we have been doing, obviously, is working with the railways to bring additional fuel in from, from Alberta and also uh, uh, fuel being barged up from Washington and Oregon. And it has been meeting the, uh, the needs that we require. So the reason December 14th is the new dead, uh, deadline for rationing to be, needs to be met is the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, when it does reopen, Energy Minister Bruce Rawson today said he expects that to happen soon, but notes that when it starts to reopen, it's going to be at a limited capacity. We won't have full oil in the, gasoline in that pipeline for some time, which is why we're extending that rationing period for two more weeks. 30 liters. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. <laughs> A local state of emergency has also been extended in Abbotsford as the city prepares for another major weather event moving in tonight. Kamal Kuramali joins us live from Abbotsford. And Kamal, it sounds like the mayor is at least cautiously optimistic that a lot of hard work that the community has put in will pay off. Chris, well, there still is a lot of hard work that needs to be done. Parts of Huntington Village that were above water last night now submerged. But uh, with the Nooksack River on the Washington state side of the border now receding and other safeguards in place, things are looking positive. Military crews worked feverishly throughout Sunday night, building a tiger dam across a section of Highway 1 in Abbotsford, a series of large water-filled tubes to protect this major stretch of roadway. It's about five feet of layer of protection. Built just in the nick of time, as floodwaters flowed in from Washington State, the Nooksack River meanders east-west, but it's still over a dozen kilometers from the Canadian border. But this map shows a steadily declining valley between the river and the border, sandwiched between two elevated areas, almost like a pipeline funneling the overflowing Nooksack River water into Huntington Village in Abbotsford by Monday morning. Obviously, in the last hour, this water has come up significantly up towards where the sandbag walls here are. Earlier this morning, where I'm standing right now was completely dry. But in the span of about an hour, water started flowing in quickly from the U.S. side of the border, about 100 meters from where we're standing now. And now cars here in Abbotsford near the border are partially submerged as the water continues to make its way towards the sandbag barrier there, eventually being diverted to the Sumas River. There is some good news, though. The floodwaters from the Nooksack River took a lot longer than expected to reach Abbotsford. Plus, the Fraser River water levels dropped, allowing the city to open the floodgates and drain some of the Sumas River. Those two things in combination make me very comfortable, and I feel much better today than I did yesterday at this point. But the pounding rain has still caused some damage. Highway 1 is closed in both directions from McCallum Road in Abbotsford all the way to Yale Road in Chilliwack. The Tiger Dam was built somewhere in the middle where the highway dips and there's a threat of water collecting. A long stretch of Highway 11 is also closed and there's localized flooding in other areas of Abbotsford, closing some roads in the Sumas Prairie, Huntington Village and Claiborne Village. Now, search and rescue teams are on standby, worried for what the upcoming storm will bring. It's very concerning. Um, with the number of uh, millimeters of rain that I've been hearing, it's just like the first day. It's got to be tough to tell with another big storm coming in. Uh, great visuals demonstrating what they're up against there. Kamala, is there any update at all for the timeline to reopen Highway 1? 
Yeah, it's a question a lot of people are asking, Chris, but the province not yet ready to give an answer on that timeline just yet, especially with that storm set to hit tomorrow. That tiger dam that we saw there will still be in place for that just in case it's needed. But on top of that, there are other pools and areas of Highway 1 that need to be cleaned up. So safe to say, Chris, it will still be some time until we see Highway 1 reopen. Back over to you. Lots of work to do. All right, Kamal Karamali reporting live for us. Thanks, Kamal. They're also preparing for more possible flooding on Vancouver Island. The Penelicut tribe near Chimenez is deploying sandbags and bladders around homes and along the Chimenez River, which flooded two weeks ago. The Canadian military helped with some sandbagging on Sunday. The Chimenez has not flooded, but rose over the weekend, and it is feared the coming storm on Tuesday might send it over the banks again. Today we have uh, multiple dump truck loads uh, building a road so we can lay in HESCO bags and we're going to look looking to build a 200 meter wall to prevent water from coming in and damaging up to 10 homes in our community. The forecasted water level in the Chimenez has been downgraded but Seward says the flood two weeks ago came earlier than usual and he believes it's going to be a long winter. The next atmospheric river is moving in tonight and senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with the details and the timeline. Christy. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chris. So it is already on the coast, but it's north of our region right now, targeting the central coast. It's going to shift down into our area overnight. We are going to see heavy rain right throughout the day tomorrow and we'll continue to see lingering effects into Wednesday. By the end of Wednesday, here's how much rainfall we could see. We're talking about 100 to 140 millimeters for the mountainous regions. Fraser Valley, 40 to 70 millimeters. But bear in mind, they're also impacted by that rainfall in the mountains coming down through the rivers and streams. And in addition, tomorrow, beyond what we've seen in the past couple of atmospheric rivers, we are going to see the freezing level soar to 3,000 meters. So we're going to see significant snow melt once again. Keep in mind as well, there's a bit of a lag effect for that snow melt. So we'll likely see the impact of this right through our Thursday, Chris. A lot of factors at play for sure. Okay, thanks, Christy. We'll check in later. And it's a race against time in Princeton, a community still recovering from that first storm. Heavy machinery and military personnel are working hard to reinforce dikes along the Tulamine River, which is still under a flood warning causing a lot of concern for a town that suffered significant damage when the first atmospheric river hit two weeks ago. Officials and residents are worried the next storm will make things worse. We're preparing for flood levels that could possibly be as high, if not higher, than, than last time. It's a waiting game to see what actually hits us. We've got water back from ground seepage, so we're not going to try to pump it out again. We had it close to being dry there yesterday, but we're back where we started again. Town officials are also keeping a close eye on the sewer system. If rising water backs it up, the whole town could be forced to evacuate. Downstream from Princeton, it's all eyes on the Similkameen River as water levels there continue to rise. Properties along the river have been put on flood watch as riverbanks are near overflowing. The regional district says with more rain on the way, flooding is possible. High water flow is picking up large trees and other debris, creating hazards. The historic Red Bridge in Karameos has been damaged by debris carried downstream. Residents along the waterway say they are prepared for the worst. 
We're actually quite a proactive community, so uh, word gets around very quickly. And uh, I think everybody has some form of a plan that's going on, especially along the riverbanks. We have an individual here in the park who uh, has been watching it. He has some uh, um, good habits behind him that uh, he's been going down to the river every few hours, uh, 24 hours a day, and, uh, and does a check. The area behind the RV park flooded nearly two weeks ago, and Johnson says she's worried for the properties closer to the riverbanks. The regional district is urging communities to stay up to date on flood warnings and any evacuations in their area as the situation can change at any moment. A bit of a reprieve today for flood-stricken residents of Merritt. People living in the hard-hit Zone 3 part of town were briefly allowed to return home to gather their belongings and take stock of the damage. But as Kylie Stanton reports, with another atmospheric river in the forecast, everyone will be keeping a close watch on the Coldwater River. I can have toast again, tomatoes, sandwiches. After weeks in and out of their homes, Milk. it's the little things. For many merit evacuees, that's all they've got. We don't have any water, sewer or anything, so... Just terrible. And it just seems to keep coming. On Sunday, another flood warning was issued for the city after levels in the Coldwater River continued to rise. The Canadian Armed Forces here to assist crews with dike repairs, reinforcing the riverbanks and protecting infrastructure. Still, the entire community was put on alert. You should be prepared to leave on short notice. We continue to hope for the best and plan for the worst. This forced the temporary suspension of day access for evacuees living in the hardest hit areas. But now that the water levels have receded, those in phase three can access their properties between the hours of nine and three. Phase four, on the other hand, remains closed. We can't deliver drinking water. We can't take away sewage. Uh, we have very limited fire suppression ability and BC Ambulance don't want to uh, go in. The phase four area, it's not even safe for search and rescue crews to enter. Despite all of that, there's a growing sense of frustration among displaced residents. Not good to be kept away from all your personal belongings, your homes, some people's animals. People just want to get back home and uh, start dealing with their lives. Beyond the damage, there's a lot to tackle. The city has set up a resiliency centre, a one-stop shop to help people get back on their feet, providing support for everything from insurance to counselling. Another sign of recovery, the Nicola Valley Hospital has reopened at reduced hours. So this means that for the first time since the evacuation began, people can get health services here in Marot. That's good news, but I hear the storm's coming tomorrow. So That has the already vulnerable city bracing for another blow. But given what's been endured so far, they say they're ready. We're rocking it, Merritt Strong. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And in hope tonight, Mayor Peter Robb says the community is coping, even with evacuation orders and alerts in place for certain properties near Othello Road. Officials are keeping an eye on bank erosion and rising waters along the Coquihalla. Sandbagging is also being done for hard-hit areas like East Kakawa Lake. Rob says they need a break from the rain, but he's also urging people to keep supporting one another and not take out their frustrations on Facebook or other social media. Have faith in, in uh, what our staff is doing and uh, all the measures we're taking. And we have in place our two evacuation centers if need be. We're ready to go. We have 
exits to exiting the community ready to go if we should. My frustration in a little bit is with misinformation on social media that causes that extra anxiety for the community. It is the largest group of unvaccinated British Columbians, and now children aged 5 to 11 are getting COVID protection too. The rollout of the pediatric vaccination plan and what parents need to know next on the News Hour. West End Vice, a new book exploring the dark history of one of Vancouver's most notable neighborhoods, coming up on the News Hour. Also tonight, how COVID is playing Grinch for Christmas parties with a shortage of Santa's helpers. That's later. Right now, though, let's get a check of the daily COVID-19 numbers for our province. Three days worth. And we have 970 new cases now with 2,882 active cases. 303 people are in hospital with 115 of those patients in the ICU. 11 people have died since Friday of complications of the virus, including one person in their 30s. Parents and children are feeling a mix of excitement and relief now that younger kids have started receiving their first COVID-19 vaccinations. Richard Zussman was there as some of the first kids in the province received the pediatric version of the mRNA vaccine. Is it going to hurt? You know, a little bit, but it's not, I think you've had shots before. They watch their grandparents get the shot, their parents and sometimes older siblings. Now it's time for 5 to 11-year-olds across BC to get their COVID vaccine. Well done, you did it! Yay! It hurt a little bit, but it was over quickly, and then I got a sticker, which was pretty cool. So, you're not leaving without anything. You get, you get your sticker. It's been a waiting game for many. The Health Canada-approved Pfizer shot for kids arrived in BC last week, and it took a few days to get across the province. We really wanted to make sure the clinics were set up in communities across the province, and we've had a lot of challenges getting vaccine out to places. Others have been waiting just for the invite. For those registered, the province delayed getting texts out early Monday morning. We're going out at, a, I think it's somewhere around 10,000 invites an hour right now. So you'll get that and it'll all come together in the next few days. The vaccine clinics are a little bit different than where those 12 plus receive their shots. There are more decorations on the wall. There are goodie bags for kids. It's all in an attempt to try to make it more comfortable for those the province believe could be more anxious getting their COVID vaccine. Some kids might have a little video or a sticker book that they like, a picture of a loved one. Maybe they have a picture of grandma or grandpa. The province still encouraging people to get registered who haven't already. About a third of eligible kids are now in the system. Parents must provide consent for the group. For those unsure about getting the shot, the province has provided various sources of information online to help make the decision. If parents haven't yet been immunized, this is a time that you can come together to get your first shot, your second shot. And those kids who have already had their turn have advice for others. It's preventing yourself from getting sick and ha having a chance of dying, so yeah. I went to school, ate breakfast and uh, got a shot. It's easy, like, um, yeah, why, why not? So we can all stay safe and it could be over. With each shot, kids or otherwise, one step closer to this pandemic being all over. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Health Minister Adrian Dick says the province is taking very seriously the new Omicron variant of the coronavirus. At least five cases have been found in Canada so far in Ontario and Quebec, and it's expected, of course, there will be more. 
Ted Chernacki reports on what the B.C. government is doing to try to keep it at bay. What is B.C. doing to stop the Omicron variant? Well, not much other than watching to see how it evolves elsewhere because the province knows it's just a matter of time before it is here. We have seen repeatedly that when this virus gets an advantage, it spreads. And so it is very likely that we'll see it here as well. No specific response to this variant of concern right now in terms of measures. But, uh, but uh, as always, we are looking at, um, at all these issues every day. It looks like it's probably a slightly more transmissible. But we don't know if it makes more severe disease or has impact on the vaccine. And that's the position taken by others, including Canada, who will not allow anyone to enter the country for at least the next two weeks, who've recently been to South Africa, Mozambique, Namibia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Lesotho, and Eswantini. The European Commission also says it needs time. And the scientists and manufacturer need two to three weeks to have a full picture about the quality of the mutations of this Omicron variant. For those used to locking onto the BC Centre for Disease Control website to see if they might have been exposed to COVID during a recent flight, here's what you see instead. As of November 16th, 2021, exposure notifications for passenger travel by plane, train, bus or cruise ship will no longer be posted to the BC CDC website. Since anyone on a plane, in theory at least, has to be double vaccinated, BC will only act if someone tests positive for COVID. And in particular cases, and that includes all travelers, uh, so people coming from outside the country, uh, if there's a positive case there, whole genome sequencing is done as a matter of course. Just how anyone else on that flight is informed about the positive test is still unclear. Ted Chernak, Global News. Coming up, the long road to recovery. Driving through flooded farmland to hear stories of incredible loss and of hope. And later, what cities can learn from sponges to prevent future flood disasters. Steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge with most of the congestion on the New Westminster side on that Columbia Street on-ramp. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. A teenager could be facing criminal charges after he allegedly stabbed a woman and her dog in South Vancouver. The VPD says a 14-year-old is accused of stabbing a woman in the hand and then her pet near the Marine Drive Canada Line station on Friday night. The dog was bleeding heavily when officers arrived on scene and was rushed to an emergency veterinarian. The woman was sent to hospital for treatment and both are expected to make a full recovery. I doesn't believe at this point that they were they're known to each other. We don't know exactly what uh, that altercation was about. What I can tell you is that the, the teen suspect and an associate uh, were involved in some kind of an altercation with the victim uh, that resulted in, uh, in the, the violent uh, interaction happening, the this, this stabbing that, that occurred. The teen was arrested but has since been released from custody pending a future court date. Anyone with more information on the incident is asked to call Vancouver Police. The flooding on Sumas Prairie has affected hundreds of homes and farms and impacted thousands of lives. Today, Global's Rumi Nadea spoke to one farmer who says even though his life's work is still underwater, he is planning to rebuild and replant, even though it'll take years. 
With his daughter on his back, Narinder Bengal moves on gut instinct. Saving his family, guiding every decision. No time to think, just go. We were scared. We were scared. I told kids, no, let's go. It's going to break. Bangal actually saw the wall of water breach the dike. I was worried about to get out of it, like how we can get out. We called 911 and they was just wait upstairs. Waiting for emergency crews, not an option. Bangal driving his family through four feet of water to get to higher ground. Balls on this guy, eh? The dramatic rescue captured on social media. Can I just go grab some stuff? You feel powerless when you return to this. Your dream home destroyed. Your nursery wiped out. With no oxygen for days, 40,000 cedar trees won't survive. I'm more handy, man. I can't sit. So now I can't go. I can't do anything. You'll be back. You'll be back. Devastated, but not defeated, thanks to an army of good people who have his back. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. Still young. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. Optimism. It's a farmer's way of life. But Bengal is on edge. Two storms down, one still to go. It does scare me because last night when I left at 6 o'clock, there was more water on the road. Romina Dea, Global News. And with that next major storm system on the way this week, there are worries about whether communities will be able to handle any more rain. All the extreme weather is accelerating a shift in how Canadian cities plan for floods. Typically, they're designed to repel rainwater, but pushing it or by pushing it into underground drains and sewers. But there's a different way of doing it, and it begins with protecting nature. Across the country, extreme weather is forcing cities to rethink how they manage flooding. In BC's Fraser Valley, a huge cleanup is underway, even as more rain is in the forecast. Two years ago, the Toronto Islands, a normally idyllic community, had its own flood fears. We heard about rising sea levels, never really thought that that would happen to the lake, and then for two years it happened in such a drastic way mm -hmm. that has been really hard for the community. So now communities are being forced to rethink how they plan for floods. The way cities manage water runoff has not changed in decades. Cities are covered in concrete and pavement, and when rain hits the pavement, it can't be absorbed. So it's typically shuttled away using a network of underground drains or pipes. When there's too much rain, the network gets overloaded, leading to above-ground flooding. One solution planners are turning to is simple, nature. Ecosystems like wetlands, ponds, and valleys offer natural protection, soaking up water like a sponge. But much of that nature has been paved over, so now a shift is taking place. This new development philosophy is called a sponge city, or low-impact development. It means actually retaining the water using nature to soak up the rain and allow it to drain more slowly into the ground. It's one tool in the toolkit, and nowhere is it catching on faster than in China. Its cities are regularly inundated, so they're building massive wetlands to mitigate the threat. It's using the power of nature to protect people. This is a way to reintroduce nature into cities, and I think that's a positive thing. And cities are fast adapting, rebuilding streets like this one in Vancouver with more green infrastructure that soaks up water instead of repelling it. 
Kamyar Razavi, Global News, Vancouver. Coming up, a borderline Christmas crisis. <laughs> Why, you'll be hearing a lot less of that this year with a shortage of Santa's helpers. And heavy coffee drinkers get some good news about the impact on their health. Cancer is relentless, but for every patient, every chemo appointment, every radiation treatment, BC Cancer is there to change the outcome. With your help, BC Cancer won't stop until it's done. Donate today at bccancerfoundation.com. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is steady in both directions with just a little bit of congestion northbound from Highway 17A. This holiday season, spread some cheer, purchase festive scratch and win tickets at your lottery retailer, must be 19 plus to play. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Chances are you've heard the warnings about a shortage of electronics, toys, even booze, but now we're hearing about a possible shortage of turkeys this holiday season. Farmers say turkey supplies are at 30-year lows because of a combination of factors. The poultry industry cut production last year because of demand uncertainties during the pandemic. The recent floods in B.C. killed an unknown number of turkeys. And road closures are affecting transport. On top of all of that, turkeys will be more expensive. Last summer's extreme drought drove up the price of feed. And the pandemic has created yet another holiday season shortage. That's right. Grace Key tells us why companies that supply Santa's helpers are turning down hundreds of requests this year. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. It seems like everyone wants a visit from old St. Nick this Christmas. <laughs> His calendar is normally booked from mid-November to Christmas Eve, but he's been so busy lately, Santa has been pulling double duty. Sometimes twice a day. There's a lot of times where I'm multiple hours at one event. And um, I, in fact, next week I believe I have a Zoom, it's a four-hour Zoom uh, with various families from back east through a uh, union. There is a shortage of Santa helpers this year. At Hire a Santa, the North Pole operations manager has had to cancel almost 300 bookings. The reason? Mostly COVID-related with an unvaccinated younger age group. Most of our Santas are in the older age group, right? And I've had people tell me that they don't want to work this year because they want to be able to visit with their grandkids. I've had uh, Santa who's had, you know, they were on wait lists for like knee surgery and it's come through. The tech savvy Santas were a huge help last year with Zoom and it continues to be in demand. And in fact, tomorrow I have a Zoom event with a uh, child from the UK. It's the first time I've done an international uh, Santa event. It tells me that there is a definite shortage of Santa helpers. Spreading good cheer is tops on Santa's list this holiday season. We've been through a lot this year. We're still going through COVID. We had the wildfires in the summertime. Now we have the floods in, in the valley. I think people just want a break. And they want something positive to, to look back on or to, to look forward to. And I think with the, with the children, especially you see it in their eyes, the love and, and sometimes fear of Santa, um, it, just, it just brings joy, peace um, to so many, to, to parents and children alike. Grace Key, <laughs> Global News. 
In Health Matters tonight, good news for people who drink a lot of coffee. They might be lowering their risk for certain diseases. A new peer-reviewed study has found that people who drink four to six cups of coffee per day have a much lower rate of stroke and dementia. The research looked at 350,000 healthy people between the ages of 50 and 74 and found those who drink coffee or coffee and tea the risk of dementia and stroke is reduced by 28%. The study does not prove a cause and effect relationship between the two, but does suggest there is a link. All right, that's encouraging for people who need the Java to get going in the morning. Coming up, a walk down memory lane. If you walk around the West End today, there's really no hint of that time. Subtle remnants of an almost lawless era in this Vancouver neighborhood's past. And in sports, bon chance to the Vancouver Canucks trying to stop their skid in Montreal. The conveyor belt of big storms continues mm -hmm. in B.C. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon is here now uh, with a look at how La Nina and maybe even climate change uh, may be connected. Christy? Yeah, so the recent uh, series of atmospheric rivers, especially the one that's on deck tomorrow, really have this long moisture trail that uh, um, stems right from the Philippines. And this is where the actual warmest ocean temperatures in the world exist. Uh, it's called the Indo-Pacific Warm Pool, and some scientists actually call it the steam engine of the world. But this region has actually been growing and getting warmer, partly in due to our current La Nina, but also some research shows that it's been getting warmer and bigger uh, for the last century or so because of climate change. And according to a climatologist, Farron Anslow, this may be actually impacting our current scenario. My hypothesis is that that expansion is making it just a little bit easier for these storms to pick up this moisture um, and bring it across the Pacific Ocean to us. And tomorrow's storm shows a clear moisture trail from that region, a 10,000-kilometer journey across the Pacific. A further explanation about this, by the way, will be on our website. I've written a story there if you're interested. But what a plume. And that is our third atmospheric river there, currently targeting the central coast. We're going to see that moisture pick up across the south coast overnight, heavy throughout the day tomorrow. With these totals, mountainous regions could see an excess of 100 to maybe even 140 millimeters of rain. These are the areas of concern. Areas in orange under a flood watch. That's basically all of the south coast. Flood warning for the Tulumine River, Coquihalla, Coldwater, Nicola, and Sumas. Those are the areas we'll be watching Wednesday into Thursday, potentially even into Friday. But there's the rainfall we're expecting heavy throughout the day tomorrow on Thursday, sorry, on Wednesday. It starts to shift a little bit further north, but we'll continue to see rainfall, the remnants of this at the very lease and that rainfall will come and go. So there's your forecast for uh, your tomorrow, everyone. Heavy rain right across, especially the south coast region. And we are going to see uh, conditions continue into our Wednesday with wind and rain. We are going to break on Thursday, but again, there's always a lag in the effect on the rivers and streams. So we'll continue to see that impact even into our Thursday, potentially Friday also. Tonight's central windows weather window is from Rob Rint, which is uh, part of the Western Turf Family Farm. And there's about four families, part of their group, that have been displaced because of the Abbotsford uh, uh, floods. And they are having a uh, fundraiser this Saturday at the Roots and Winds Wings Distillery. So I hope you can go out there and support them. I like wings. 
All right, thanks, Christy. Anything from a <laughs> distillery gets my vote. Okay, let's check in with Squire right now for what's coming up in sports. Well, the Whitecaps have told us they're going to have a big announcement tomorrow. <laughs> what can you guess what it's going to be? You have three guesses, and the first two don't count. <laughs> we'll talk about Banny Sartini staying with the Whitecaps as head coach, update you on Canucks and Seahawks as well. Also tonight, local historian Aaron Chapman releases a new book with some secrets about the West End hidden in plain sight. All right, Squire has a scoop. Andiamo, Squire. That is the sign that is above the dressing room. <laughs> Andiamo. Tomorrow, the Vancouver Canucks will make that the Vancouver Whitecaps. Although the Canucks may change a coach one day, too. The uh, Whitecaps will officially announce that Vanny Sartini is no longer the interim head coach. He's now the full-time head coach. After taking over from Mark DeSantos on August 27th, he basically helped rally the Whitecaps into a playoff spot, which at that point looked out of reach. But while that is a huge accomplishment for Vanny Sartini, he was more than that. The players seemed to relax and play better under his coaching. They were more confident in attacking and... He became something the Whitecaps didn't expect. He was one of their best marketers just through his infectious personality, and not many coaches can do that. All right, Canucks, let's try this again. Vancouver's in Montreal tonight trying to win a game on this road to ruin road trip. They uh, finished their excursion off in Ottawa, but tonight is a game they might be able to win. Actually, they should be able to beat Ottawa as well. The Habs just fired their GM and cleaned out their front office. The Habs and Canucks have virtually the same record. Montreal 6-15-2, the Canucks 6-14-2. And, and the Canucks really haven't played horribly in some of those losses and probably are overdue to win a game, which would be nice for Travis Green and his players. All right, let's see how things are going. Whoops. Michael Pozzetta with the big hit on Justin Dowling there. Jake Allen stops both Bo Horvat and Kyle Burroughs. And then something we haven't seen in a while. Can you guess what it's going to be? Watch number 40. Yes! A one-time goal by Elias Pettersson. Finally gets one. Power play marker. one nothing in the first period. But before the first period is over, that's not a good pass by Tucker Pullman. And it ends up being a Ryan Paling goal. Beats Thatcher Demko. It's 1-1. Second period, nice play here by Horvat. Watch how quick he moves this puck to Connor Garland, who's all alone in front of the net. Tanner Pearson providing some uh, help as well there. 2-1 at that point. Now the Canucks need some goaltending, and they'll get it from Demko as he stretches. Many of us, our groin would go to the top level of the stadium, but he's good. He's a veteran. He's an athlete. He makes the save. And it's 2-1 in the third period. Uh, nobody picked Evander Kane up on waivers, meaning he is now going to head to the San Jose Sharks minor league team tomorrow. However, it's not known when he'll be ready to play in the minors. He is three seasons into a $49 million contract, and he just finished a 21-game suspension for submitting a fake vaccine card. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks in Washington to take on the football team. Jordan Brooks, this is exactly how you should tackle. Washington got close, couldn't score a touchdown, had to kick a field goal. Now the Seahawks turn. Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett is open. Is he ever? Gets this one down within range. 
of a Seahawks touchdown. Rocket's got his hands in the air. Gerald Everett from Russell Wilson. Seahawks have a 7-3 lead. But before the half, Washington would score a touchdown. J.D. McKissick. And then after they scored this touchdown, their convert was blocked and Seattle returned it to the Washington end zone for two points. So it's 9-9 at halftime. It's been a bad year for star running backs in the NFL. Today, the Carolina Panthers announced that Christian McCaffrey is out the rest of the season. After injuring his left ankle, he missed five games earlier this year and 13 games last season. Yes, a lot of big-name running backs. Poolsters would know this, are now on the sidelines. There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. Are we doing Tiger Woods? We're doing Should Tiger Woods. we talk Tiger Woods? I can talk about him if you like. So, yeah. He says he's finished as a full-time PGA golfer, but is hoping to play a few tournaments here and there. Mm -hmm. Woods made those comments in an interview Monday with Golf Digest just over nine months after suffering uh, open fractures to his right leg in a car crash outside of Los Angeles. Despite almost breaking the internet last week by tweeting a short video of himself hitting a golf shot, Woods told Golf Digest that if his leg recovers, he can click off a tournament here or there, but playing full-time is not realistic. You know, it's funny, he, yeah. he actually, he didn't play a lot of tournaments even when he was healthy. He always picked and choose to which ones he would play, maybe played less than 20 a year. But I think he still wants to play some majors, if he can. Mm -hmm. Get in some majors and some of the big events. But certainly you're not going to see Tiger Woods, you know, play every week or every month, probably, mm -hmm. from here on out. You know, let's just hope he's competitive. I think a lot of people have counted him out in the past, maybe even a couple of times, and he's come back to surprise mm -hmm. them, and, and I hope that he can't come back. Yeah, but we've never seen him go through this. That's true. We've seen him go through incidents, and we've seen him go through injuries and back surgeries and knee surgery, but this was catastrophic. But if anyone way. can. He's proven us wrong before. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. Thanks, Squire. Ever wonder why there are so many traffic barriers in Vancouver's West End? We have the answer for you, and it might be surprising. Next. talking about the evolution of some of Vancouver's neighborhoods. The West End mm -hmm. today is not the West End of when your dad lived there. Which was in the late 60s, I think. <laughs> or in the 80s, which, Squire, you have a story Yeah, about. late 70s and early 80s, on, especially on the weekends, it was like a circus down there, and the residents didn't like it, and I don't blame them. But here is a story. Oh, and those traffic barriers you see and the traffic calming things, it's not exactly what you think it might be. Here's the story. Most days of the year, Davies Street in the west end of Vancouver are like this, rather idyllic spots. But 40 years ago, the streets were a lot meaner. In 1982, there were more murders in the west end than there were in the downtown east side. And parts of this neighborhood seemed like an open-air brothel. You know, any, any given night, there were two or three hundred uh, sex workers on the street, uh, male and female. And, uh, you know, but the comings and goings of some of the traffic we're constant and going till three, four in the morning. In his newest book, Vancouver Vice, Aaron Chapman chronicles a time in Vancouver that a lot of its current citizens 
don't know about. It was some of the wildest years we had just before Expo, before we kind of cleaned ourselves up for the family photo in many ways. Studies were done, committees were formed, meetings were held to deal with the situation with prostitution and the West End. People engaged in the activities of selling sex on our streets have practically commandeered whole areas. Citizens started a Shame the John program to discourage would-be customers. When you see a car go by and they're going to pick up a hooker, just stare at them. There was another idea to chase away customers, and it's the only remnants of the battle between sex workers and residents. We're standing right now on one of the original barricades. Forty years ago, in November 1981, the city put up in the West End a bunch of traffic barricades to ostensibly curb some of the street prostitution, in this case an actual curb. The city put up about a half dozen of these, none of which are gone. Some have turned into little parks, like this one on Nicola and Pendrel. These barricades are sort of a secret, lying in, right in sort of plain sight in that regard, because the neighborhood gives almost no indication of the, the, the turbulent, turbulence of those years. A provincial injunction in 1984 was what finally removed open prostitution from the West End. And aside from the Sex Workers Memorial, which is on Jervis Street, these barriers in the West End are all that's left from those years. Even people who were around those years may have forgotten why some of these things are here. But uh, they make up kind of the DNA of the city that way, and that's what uh, is fascinating about them. Now you know. Now you know. If you drive around the West End and you're wondering, why can't I turn down this street? What's going on with this? This is annoying me. That's why. Because people at that time were annoyed about something completely different. Yeah. It, it Small does. price to pay. Yeah, that's right. And it goes to show what community action can do to uh, clean a place up. All right. Uh, keep it right here on Global BC through the evening and online as well. Christy's got all the details about the next atmospheric river that's about to hit us. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.